Thank you for joining me for a few moments to ponder Ruth. I'm Betsy Marvin, and this is episode 50. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, My daughter, it's time that I found a permanent home for you so that you will be provided for. Boaz is a close relative of ours, and he's been very kind by letting you gather grain with his young women. Tonight, he will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. Now, do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then, go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. I will do everything you say, Ruth replied. So she went down to the threshing floor that night and followed the instructions of her mother-in-law. Ruth 3, 1 through 6. Before we go into the story, let's talk about harvesting during this time period in history. Naomi mentions that Boaz will be winnowing barley at the threshing floor. A threshing floor, for a town like Bethlehem, would have been strategically placed to take advantage of crowd traffic as well as take advantage of the wind needed for winnowing. It would be a place most likely shared by many farmers and at this time of year would have been the center of the social scene. Now in chapter 2, we noted that the men cut the barley and the women workers would have tied them in sheaves. To add more to this, the women would then take those sheaves and put them in groups with their heavy heads of grain upward so that they would dry out, making it easier to separate the grain from the husks. The sheaves would have stayed this way as the wheat harvest was stacked as well. Then, those sheaves would be taken to the threshing floor, a round stone area, usually outside of town and on higher ground, thus taking advantage of the wind they would need. Threshing is the name of the process of removing the grain from the husk. This was done by beating it and breaking those husks so the grain would fall out. This is what Ruth did earlier in our story. Yet for large quantities like Boaz would have had, oxen were used to pull heavy boards, often with metal edges. They would pull the boards over the stalks to crush them. Sometimes kids would ride on the boards pulled by workers, or a tool was used to smash them by hand. As you can imagine, this would have taken hours to do. Once the grain was threshed, the workers would take a tool that looks like a pitchfork today and throw the hay into the wind, thus the need for a place that would be windy, and the chaff or the husks, which were lighter, would blow away as the grain, heavier, would fall. This would be done over and over to clear all the chaff away. If you suffer from hay fever, this would have been a nightmare. Then the workers would go through the grain and remove any 
leftover bits of chaff until they were left with pure grain. This process would be repeated until all the grain was done. So why did I go through all that description? I think it's good to understand and appreciate all the work that had been going on and then the celebration that follows. As this long day of work comes to its end, everyone has that feeling of a job well done. It's like the moment we see in commercials when the farmers or the cowboys are around a bonfire, smiling and eating, having a beer, and they're resting from a day of hard work. From other scripture and historical culture, we learn that this was the big social event of the season. Farmers helped each other get this part of their harvest done. Children would run around playing, women would gather and cook and serve. Yet, as with many celebrations where alcohol is involved, many of the men got drunk. And Hosea notes that prostitutes were a common sight around a threshing floor. Because of this, it was common for the owner to sleep out by the piles of new grain to protect it during the night. And this is the setting that Naomi is sending Ruth into. Okay, so with that in mind, let's go back to our story. One day, Naomi said to Ruth, let's find you a permanent home. Do you hear the change in Naomi? Over the months of the harvest, she has moved from the self-absorbed grief that she'd been holding tightly to and is now focusing on Ruth and wants more for her. This doesn't mean that her grief is done, but it does give us a sense that she's beginning to heal. So although we aren't sure what brought Naomi to this conversation, we can read between the lines. Naomi is aware that Ruth will outlive her, which will leave Ruth alone in a foreign country. And out of love for her, Naomi wants to be sure that Ruth is provided for after she's gone. Now it's important to note that Naomi isn't thinking miracles here. Ruth, after 10 years of marriage, is childless. So there isn't hope of a grandchild on Naomi's mind. They know that they will be able to work in Boaz's field, so she's not concerned about hunger. The situation for Ruth hasn't changed. She is still poor, barren, and foreign. She brings nothing to a marriage. Yet Naomi is hoping that Boaz will honor the kinsman-redeemer law as a relative, thus offering Ruth a permanent home. A kinsman-redeemer a goel, referred to by the Jewish law, was designed to protect the lineage of a man who died. The law is found in both Leviticus and Deuteronomy, and it basically states that a kinsman redeemer was responsible to safeguard the persons, property, and prosperity of the family, redeeming that family by fulfilling one's obligation as a kinsman. This meant marrying the widow and having children with her. Those children would carry on the deceased man's name, thus keeping the lineage intact. Now in verse 2, 
when Naomi calls Boaz a relative, she does not use the word goel. She is aware that due to Ruth's circumstances, an heir for Elimelech isn't possible. So she's hoping that in his mercy, Boaz would enter a marriage out of kindness and provide for Ruth. Without a male to broker the deal, so to speak, Naomi has to resort to some risky measures to let Boaz know that Ruth would welcome his protection if he would grant it. So knowing that Boaz would sleep by his barley, she sees an opportunity for Ruth to approach him under the cover of darkness, which would provide privacy both to protect Ruth from gossip and, in the case of a refusal, humiliation. Having Ruth bathe, put on perfume, and dress in her nicest clothes rather than her widow's colors, it would have been like a billboard saying, I am available, and Naomi is counting on it. But when you think of the the threshing floor, open, on high ground, away from the village with drunken men around in the dark of night, this is a risk. It's like sending Ruth into the fields in the first place. Yet Naomi is counting on Boaz to be the man of integrity he has always been. Now we don't know what went through Ruth's mind at these instructions, but she tells Naomi that she'll do it. And she does as Naomi instructs her and finds herself at the threshing floor watching and waiting for Boaz. I can just imagine him falling asleep quickly after working hard all day and eating a big meal. And as he quietly snores, she steals up next to him, uncovers his feet, and then lies down to wait. This was all the instruction Naomi had given her. So I wonder, did she lay there wide awake with nervous tension, wondering what would happen? Did she look at the stars, praying that God would help her? Now, uncovering his feet is a unique gesture, and not much is written about this culturally, but we do know that there is nothing sexual about this. It would have been seen as a total act of submission. In that time, servants would lay at their master's feet, ready for any command that might come. Ruth, by lying there, was showing her humility and submission to Boaz. But she also is making a claim to Boaz as her goel. Not exactly what Naomi had in mind, but as we'll see, Ruth steps up in just a moment. She had the right to expect him to marry her and to try to raise a family in the name of Elimelech. So she comes as a servant, not a victim. Trusting in his goodness as her kinsman redeemer, she's not demanding, but asking with confidence because of her trust in him. What if we took a spiritual lesson from these few verses and pondered our own spiritual threshing floor? Just follow me in this. There's an owner of the field, he is a mighty warrior a kind leader, and a merciful benefactor. And he calls himself 
the bread of life. He likens the harvest to coming to faith, which makes us a part of that harvest when we come to him asking him for forgiveness as he welcomes us into his family. He takes us from the field of the world and brings us to his threshing floor. There is temptation around that floor and distractions, and they're not placed there by the owner. They're placed there by the one that wants to keep you from him. The threshing is our learning, the guiding of his hand, the repentance. It's the pruning as he goes through the process of removing the chaff in us. Chaffs, those elements in life that we know we need to let go of, habits or addictions that we need to break, people that we need to step away from, and with each toss up into the wind, in the winnowing, the chaff is blown away and the grain revealed grain that reflects the bread of life himself. It's a process that can be painful and it can be long, but he is purifying us. And the result, which is often seen in hindsight, is always better than if we've lived with the chaff. Maybe right now, as you look back, you can see all the ways that God has been working seeking to help you remove the chaff from your life. And when you look, what should you be thanking him for? Or maybe you feel like you're in a time of winnowing. What is God showing you? And maybe you're in a season of threshing. What is he asking you to let fall away? Oh, dear one, the one that helps remove our chaff, the one that stays close to protect us, is the one we can trust, just as Ruth trusted her Boaz. Amen. Amen.